my name is Pastor Chris. I'm the associate pastor here at Lamont Calvary Church. Um, and as Pastor Jim mentioned, since the beginning of the year, we've been doing a series, kind of just going through the book of Acts. Um, Acts is um, it's in the New Testament, so the second half of the Bible. And it's really more than just, I mean, sometimes it gets the, the rap of being Acts of the Apostles or Acts of the Early Church. It's really more than just the duties or functions of the early church. It's really more about the story of the third personhood of the Trinity of God. So there's the Father, the Son, and the third part is the Holy Spirit. It's kind of almost like the Holy Spirit story of how the Spirit engaged and equipped the church to be the church and to move throughout the world as we see it today. And that history um, that Luke records is really detailed. Luke was a doctor. And so as doctors, you want to make sure everything's diagnosed, researched. Um, Luke didn't have any worries of like malpractice suits coming his way, but he wanted to make sure that all of his details were right because he wanted to make sure that people were able to have a clear, concise idea of what the story of Jesus and the church was really all about. Um, and today we're going to be looking at one of what is really one of my absolute favorite portions of the book of Acts. Um, and so in this portion of Luke's story, he mentions a guy named Stephen. Um, and Stephen is what we today will commonly call a martyr. And so if you're new to church or maybe new to this phrase, a martyr is not a name as a, for a person, but it's really a, it's a function. In the ancient world, the term martyr was used to describe any person who claims to be an expert or an authority on a certain subject. So in an old world context, a lot of us in this room today, we could be considered martyrs of Jesus. We know about him, we study him, we want to share who he is with others who don't understand. In that way, we are martyrs. We are witnesses or experts about Jesus. And some of you might know this, some of you might not. Um, before coming to Calvary Church, I spent a portion of my life working for an outdoor retailer. And while I worked there, I loved it. But I had to be an expert because we sold backpacks, clothing, hiking gear, jackets, um, camping things. Like, you needed to be an expert in that field to really sell that product well. Um, it's an expensive market, and I loved being it. I loved the outdoors, so it was a lot of fun for me. But I had to be an expert. I had to be an authority on the product we had if I had any hopes of getting it out our doors. So I did, I think, a fairly good job. In one of the stores, I was the top sales leader 11 out of the 22 months I was there. I proudly carry that with me to this day. But I wasn't just there to sell jackets. I wasn't just there to sell backpacks. That wasn't the focus of why I was there, because I saw God had given me an opportunity. By being in that store, I was not only just an expert or a witness or a martyr for backpacks, but I was a martyr for Christ. I knew that I was there and had this purpose to share my expertise with others about who he was. So God did that by giving me and blessing me with success in my job, but also opportunities to share with others. And there was one night, I was closing with a fellow store manager, and her and I had started to get along pretty well, and she started sharing with me, um, we hadn't had a customer in hours, and so, I mean, we, you know the phrase, if there's time to lean, there's time to clean, we were not doing the second half of that. So we just started talking about life. She shared with me her family. I shared with her, you know, I have two sisters. And the conversation kept developing. She's like, you know, I, was, I asked her, I was like, well, tell me about your, your dad. Tell me about your mom. Like, what are they all about? And she's like, you know, I really don't talk to them anymore. My mom left my story early on, and I spent most of my life with my dad, but I, I hate him. I don't like him at all. I despise everything he stood for. I was like, well, what did, what did he do? And she said, well, he was a pastor. 
Well, at this time, I was also a pastor working as well at, a, at, the, at this retailer. So I was like, oh boy, here we go. And I was like, well, why, well, why do, you, do you hate him? She's like, I really didn't like him. I didn't like the church because I know enough to know that the church is supposed to be about love, compassion, kindness, peace, gentleness. I never saw any of that. Instead, I saw my dad embezzle money. I saw the church hate each other, steal from each other, gossip about each other. I knew enough what the church should be, but as far as I'm concerned, Jesus is dead and he doesn't exist because his people aren't real. And then she looked at me and she said, again, knowing that I'm a pastor, she said, can you explain to me why people act like this? And that for me was my opportunity. And so I saw it because I was a witness. I was in, I mean, I don't want to consider myself an expert. I'm not a scholar by any means, but I had enough experience with Jesus enough experience with healthy churches that don't gossip, that don't cheat each other to share what is the truth about the gospel, what is the truth about Christ. So I shared with her that, look, we all come into this world, and what you experienced, I apologize for it. I am sorry that the large church that I'm a part of hurt you in that way. That should have never happened. But you need to understand, we all come into this world looking out for number one first. We look out for ourselves, we take for each other and from each other sometimes, and then when we have some left over, we either put it in our own bank account or maybe if we're feeling especially generous that day, we might share it. That's all people, all walks of life. That's how we naturally come into this world. We come into the world as consumers, wanting to take, not so much concerned with what we can give. And then I looked at her and I said, and that's the beauty of Christ. Because God sent his son to give to the world an opportunity to become givers, not takers. He gives us grace. He gives us forgiveness for even the most detestable things we do. And I looked at her and I said, that is for me and that is for you because we are both messed up in this way. And we need an opportunity to have the truth, to live differently than as we do now. And I thought I did a great job in that conversation. I thought, man, I'm going to see her come to Christ. My story is going to change. But I was a martyr that night, and not just in the sense of being an expert. Because there's another sense for the word martyr, the modern sense. And in that modern context, the word martyr is also used to describe anyone who suffers, but more importantly and more accurately, dies because of their religious belief. And throughout the history of the church, many people have suffered and died for the cause of Jesus. And martyrs are those people who refuse to give up their faith in Christ, even to the point of death. Now, I didn't die, obviously, I'm still here, but being young, I didn't realize that you don't talk about religion, you don't talk about sex, and you don't talk about politics in the workplace. And my manager, she didn't care for any of what I said to her, and so she went in the back that night, closed down the store, wrote up a report about everything that I said, came back out and said, hey, I didn't appreciate anything that you said, I wrote a report, it's going to get reviewed with you in the morning, I would start looking for a new job tonight if I were you. That night the word martyr took on a new meaning for me because I was willing to share the truth of what I knew was right, what I knew she needed to hear, and I suffered for it. And this is the same for the story of Stephen. He was the first martyr of the church. And if you want to follow along this morning, we're going to look and cover a lot of ground. We're going to be um, looking through Acts chapter 6, chapter 7, in chapter 8. So grab your Bibles and maybe your running shoes because we're going to sprint through some of this. So in Acts chapter 6, I'm going to recap the second half of it about Stephen. Luke, our author, tells us that Stephen was an incredible man. He was filled with the grace 
and the power of the Holy Spirit. Miracles followed him. And one day he was in the temple having a debate, having a conversation, and this fight broke out. Because Stephen was sharing with everyone that, hey guys, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the long foretold hero that was to come into the world and rescue us from all of our evil. Sometimes we call that sin. And he came and he was true and he was real and he died and he resurrected. And, St- and Stephen used such great logic, people couldn't refute it. He was, he was debating very well. But there was this opposition and they hated what Stephen was saying. They didn't care for it at all. And so being in this position of they can't fight with the Holy Spirit that has empowered Stephen to be an, ex, ex, or an expert debater, they resorted to starting lies and telling rumors about what Stephen was doing. And so those lies, those rumors, they circulated. And those lies and rumors, they got to a group called the High Council, who was like an, almost like a very important court system. And so Stephen was brought to them. And Luke shares what's a really interesting piece. Luke shares that despite the gravity of the situation at hand, despite the, the scary idea that Stephen was going to be before this high court system, he had complete peace. Acts 6.15 tells us, all who were sitting there saw that Stephen's face was like that of an angel. Angels are at perfect peace because they are in the presence of the Lord. Stephen was in the presence of the Lord that day. So moving into chapter 7, the high priest asked Stephen if the lies that he heard were true. And instead of defending himself, I want you to hear that part. The high priest looks at Stephen and says, Stephen, are all of these things true? When we get caught, our like, natural reaction is to start to defend ourselves, start to say, no, 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 you don't understand. They were lying. They were doing this. I was saying all the right stuff. But that's not what Stephen did. Instead of defending himself, Stephen shared a perspective, he shared history, and he shared the truth, regardless of what it was going to cost him. So Stephen told them of their great, 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 great grandfather Abraham, who was called by God to leave the land that he was living in because God wanted to give him a new land. So Abraham obeyed but only halfway. He stopped his journey short, and because of it, he never got the full inheritance of that land. Abraham did make it, but he stopped and then continued. And because of that, he never got that full inheritance, but the Lord did promise him that his descendants would fill that place. And Stephen continued further after Abraham. He had a grandson named Jacob, who was the father of the 12 patriarchs of Israel. Those patriarchs became the the leaders or the tribe leaders of each house of Israel. Jacob was an incredible man. Unfortunately, Jacob's son betrayed their own brother, Joseph, and they sold him into slavery. In slavery, Joseph found his way and was made great in Egypt, and he used his power to rescue his family despite their evil hearts. And Stephen continued, and he started to share about how those Jews that were in Egypt actually ended up becoming a great people there. But then the kingship changed, and they suffered persecution and slavery. But God used an orphan son named Moses to rise to power inside of the king's palace. And when Moses was grown, he decided he was going to try to free his people, but they rejected him. And in shame, he fled and ran away. But God had a plan. God called Moses back to Egypt, and by miracles and wonders, 
he rescued his people from slavery. And in finding freedom, the Jews quickly felt a fear and desired nothing more than to go back to the slavery that they just came from. So they rejected Moses and they rejected God. And rather than trusting God who rescued them, the Jews thought, let's make our own God and trust in our own hopes, in our, in our own dreams, rather than the dreams and plans God has for us. Stephen went on and he reminded them that there was a time that Israel finally came to trust the Lord. There was a man named Joshua who took all of the Israelites out of wandering in the desert and finally brought them into the land that God had promised Abraham hundreds of years prior, and they got it. They got it all. They received it all, and they conquested, and they won it because Joshua literally carried the presence of the Lord everywhere he went. And then years later, a king came to power named David, and he had great favor going further, doing more than any king ever before or ever after. And he asked God, he said, God, can I please build you a temple? And God said, no, David, but your son will. And then Stephen finished, and he reminded them that instead of worshiping the God that gave them so much, that those people at that time that rejected Jesus started worshiping the brick and mortar, They trusted in a building rather than trusting in their creator. And this is where it gets really heated. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 60, says this, You stubborn people, you heathen at the heart and are deaf to the truth, you must you forever resist the Holy Spirit. That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name me one prophet that didn't, that your ancestors didn't persecute. They even, can, they even killed the ones predicting the coming of the righteous one, who was Jesus, the Messiah, who you betrayed and you murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law even though you received it from the angels of God. The Jewish leaders, they were infuriated, and I think rightly so. Stephen is giving them some heavy guff. They shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. He saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand, and he told them, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place in honor of God, at God's right hand. Then the high priest, the council, they put their hands over their ears and began shouting, not wanting to listen. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him, pelting his body with rocks until breath after breath left his body. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. His final words echoing Jesus' final words on the cross. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. When I began this morning, I said that this was one of my absolute favorite portions of the story of Acts. And you might be wondering why. I love this story so much because it is such a sobering reminder of what our call to follow Jesus might entail. We often look past passages like this because for centuries, Christianity has been the majority voice in North America. 
persecution, and martyrdom are not natural scenarios we have to worry about day to day. Our cultural landscape, though, it's changing. And it seems like our voice doesn't carry the same weight that it used to. And it causes some of us to doubt. It causes some of us to maybe have hatred towards the world around us. Or maybe it just causes us to wonder, Jesus, where the heck are you? Don't you see what's going on? But I want to assure, assure all of us this morning that this very sobering story holds some very incredible messages of encouragement for us today. And that first encouragement I want to share with us is that we can have peace. I'm going to say that again. We can have peace in every situation. Stephen was full. He was filled. He was baptized. He was immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. This means that the same power the same grace, the same peace that enabled Jesus to heal the sick, raise the dead, resurrect his body from the grave were present in Stephen. And those same powers, those same gifts can be present in our lives. The Holy Spirit enables us to have that same peace, that same power, that same grace if we seek him and say, Holy Spirit, bring that to me. I invite you, my entire life, all of it, use it. How is this an encouragement? Because I just said Jesus died, and I just finished telling a story that Stephen had rocks thrown at him until he died. It's an encouragement in the way that we can know that without a doubt, just because there are situations that are out of our control and that are difficult, it doesn't mean that Jesus has abandoned us. Luke shared with us that despite that circumstance, Stephen was at complete peace, even seeing Jesus at the right hand of God in heaven as he died. But if we tie this to that idea that just because we are right doesn't mean that others will listen, it helps us have a little bit more peace of what God is doing. Jesus actually went so far as to share with us in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, he said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It's an, it's, if you belong to this world, it would love you as our own, Jesus said. But as it is, you don't belong to this world. But I have chosen you out of this world, and that is why the world hates you. That is why you don't seem to fit like the way the rest of the world fits together. Jesus shared this with us to encourage us that when we live out the mission of knowing him, loving others, and serving the world, we will. We will come up against opposition because we don't belong here. This isn't our eternal destination. This isn't our home. Jesus came to rescue us from death. And the time and place that we are in is not the time and place that we will stay forever because there is one day that Jesus will come back returning for us to take us up with him to live with him in heaven forever and forever and ever. Amen. If you're wondering if I just said that we all might die because of our faith, you're right. Or your faith, you're right. But that is the worst situation we can ever imagine, isn't it? Is death on this earth. But death on this earth means life with Christ forever and ever. So that sounds like a pretty good trade-off for me. Throughout, the ch throughout history, the church has frequently suffered persecution. And that time and place that we are living in right now is a microcosm, a very short segment in history. And we need to understand that following Jesus will cost us. And that's our second encouragement, believe it or not, that following Jesus will cost us. 
And this idea is so countercultural to us because for the rest of the, and for us, but to the rest of the world, it's not. For the rest of the world, the idea that your faith will cost you is pretty natural. In many nations, in many places, accepting Christ and living for him are going to cost you. They might cost you your family or your job, your position in society. And yeah, it could even cost you your life. There's an organization called Open Doors USA. Um, it's a group that studies persecution across the world and tries to strategize and find ways that how the church can actually support those that are suffering persecution. And they report that every month, every month, 255 believers are killed, 104 are abducted, 180 women are sexually abused and forced into marriages, and 160 are detained without trial. Every month, a church the size of Calvary goes missing. That's the reality of our faith in this world, is that we don't fit. But Stephen's death shows us that since the very beginning of the church, the suffering that we're averted to is a natural function of the church. And pushing this point home, is, and this is where it becomes an encouragement, church. This is where the cost becomes an encouragement. Paul, an early church father, pushed it home when he said in Romans 5, 3 through 5, he says, we are also glorying in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope that Jesus will come back does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The cost of following Jesus is an encouragement because when we suffer, we are participating in a spiritual experience of growth, becoming more like Christ. And as we become more like him, we become more assured of that day that he will return for us, looking forward to it and having the joy of finally knowing our true identity in our true place at his side. Each suffering we survive earns us the ability to keep moving forward. The ability to endure produces a character that regardless of our circumstance allows us that hope that one day Jesus, our Savior, will return. And when we have that hope, boy, are we going to start aching that other people know that. The cost of following Jesus will make us more like him, but that is not the only reward for our suffering. The reward for our suffering is really greater than any expense that we have to pay. Any expense that we have, even if it's our own life, the reward for that is greater, and that's the encouragement. But to know that full reward, we need to keep reading the rest of Luke's story. So Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 says this, Saul, the guy who everyone laid their coats at, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he completely agreed, enjoyed, liked, was in support of, was cheering on the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all of the believers that were there, and at this point we're talking 5,000 plus, all of these believers were scattered to the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. And then Luke says this. He says, but. But the believers who were scattered 
that 5,000 plus that were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They left Jerusalem and went everywhere throughout Judea and Samaria. What did Jesus say to them in Acts 1.8? He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Persecution, the death of Stephen, caused the church to shotgun throughout the world, landing everywhere. This is what started that. Fulfilling what Jesus had told the church was going to happen. The full reward for suffering, the cost of following in Jesus, is that the gospel, the story of Jesus, the hope that our sin is forgiven, the reward is that all people will once again be made right in God's sight and live forever with him, away from sickness, away from death, away from hurt, away from suffering, away from alcoholism, away from abuse, away from every type of sin that ensnares us. The reward of our suffering in this life, of telling the truth, of sharing Christ with others, is that the world might finally be healed. In the months following after being written up at my my retailer store, they were pretty uncomfortable to say the least. Because I didn't get fired, which meant I had to continually work alongside this manager who wrote me up. She wasn't the kindest, and being that it was a retail store, as I mean, if you've worked in it, you know that gossip spreads around like wildfire. So everybody knew what I said. Everybody knew the ins and the outs of the details. I don't know how many of them actually got their hands on the report, but there was some level of truth in what was being shared. And then the day came where she left, and I got to take her job. That was a nice piece for me. But that wasn't the reward. The reward was that the whole time there was a young man named Taylor, who I got to work alongside. Taylor grew up in a church. He knew all about Jesus. He knew the stories. But when he had started working at my store, he had told me that he's like, you know, I really just don't know if Jesus is all that relevant for me anymore. I don't know what place he has in my life. I don't really feel like I need him. My life is fine without him. But then Taylor told me before I left, he said, I watched you. I watched the way that manager treated you. I watched the way that you showed up every day and gave 100%, even when you were working with her, because man, would it have been easy for me not to sell anything on the days I was working with her? But I didn't. I sold my pants off. Not literally, that'd be awkward. (laughs) Um, He said, I watched the way you treated others. I watched the way you treated our customers. And if that is the Jesus that lives inside of you, then that's the Jesus I want inside of me. I've had follow-up conversations with Taylor over the years, and he's still following the Lord. Would I have been willing to risk and lose my job for that? Sure. Because that means that at the end of all things, I get to party with Taylor in heaven forever and ever and ever. Amen. This is similar to Stephen's story. As Stephen was being stoned to death, as each rock smashed into his flesh, crushing his bones, causing him to bruise, and then those bruises breaking open and blood rushing over the ground, a young man watched joyfully seeing him die, and that man's name was Saul. Saul hated the church. He wanted it put to death. But what Saul didn't know is that one day those rocks that he was watching sail across 
the temple yard and hitting Stephen would one day be the rocks that were coming back at him. The martyring of Stephen is crucially important because it was Saul's first up-close exposure to the church. His first exposure to Christ's church was watching a man catch the angry stones and die because Stephen knew that his life wasn't worth as much as the gospel was. In the next few weeks, we're going to watch this story of Saul unfold. And as it does, I encourage you guys to remember that Luke intentionally placed Stephen's story of death and suffering before it to remind us that that is what caused the spark for the church to ignite. Stephen's story is so sobering. But when we as the church suffer well, and that is important, when we suffer well, when we don't complain, when we take suffering for what we believe and carry it well and don't defend ourselves, when we suffer well, it is our encouragement to know that we are being made more like Christ and those around us are seeing it happen. When we endure, when we suffer, when, we, when following Jesus costs us, it's our encouragement to know that we are being made more like him and finding greater hope that his return is coming. But the greatest reward for following Jesus is not just being made like him, but that in being made like him, he is sending us the Holy Spirit to equip us, to empower us, and to bring redemption to the world around us. We are his messengers. Stephen was the first martyr in church history, but he was not the last. Throughout history, we have been giving our lives as Christ gave his for ours so that others could understand what Paul meant when he said, to live is to live unto Christ, and to die is to have gain. My challenge for us today is to not fear sharing the grace and the power that Jesus has given us and not fear what it might cost us, but rather to consider what suffering for his sake might gain us. A final point, if you're taking notes, is don't fear the cost. Consider the gain. Because in the case of Stephen, his words were not enough to win any sort of verbal or spiritual battle. But his death, his death was the very foundation Christ used to reach Saul, who would become the single greatest missionary of the early church. How many of you guys remember ancient Rome, the Middle Ages? How many of you have been to Europe and seen churches from one end of that continent to the other? That was Saul. He was the first to bring the gospel to Europe. But he was the one who wanted the church to die. And that is the sobering truth behind our suffering, is that God will use it to do incredible things to change the landscape of history because the microcosm we are living in is not the end. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jim preached on the atrocities of abortion. We've heard for years, we saw the, the shooting in Aurora. We have Ellie who is suffering from death right here in Lamont, but that is not the end because God has mobilized us to bring healing to the world through the Holy Spirit. I had no idea that Taylor was watching me, studying my life and seeing Jesus through it. When we suffer well, Jesus is made known. Who's watching you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you 
for the uncomfortable beauty of living a life after you. Father, we thank you for these moments that when we share your truth, when we share that you are Lord, when we share that you have compassion, that you want to transform the lives of those that are chasing after whatever the world has for them, Father, we thank you for the suffering we might have because of that. Because, Father, we know that in that we are being made more like you, that we are earning a character that is more like yours, and we know that ultimately you are coming back. And we pray that on that day our suffering will produce not only perseverance, but the proof of what we believe so that others will see it and come to faith themselves. We thank you for everything you've done, everything you are doing presently in our lives right now, and everything you have yet to do. In your mighty and your holy name, amen.